Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast program. Uh, Brian and I are partway through a two-part series that is looking back into 2022 and some of the questions that we have received. Uh, as we indicated in part one, which happened to be our 150th episode, we went back and kind of uh, analyzed all the questions we received, tried to sort of cluster them into various categories and understand which categories were more popular and then bring those to our listeners with some examples of questions we received in 2022, along with some uh, scriptural answers. So Brian, with that as sort of a really quick kickoff, do you want to tell folks sort of what we uh, covered in part one already? Yeah, sure will. And so we looked at questions that were submitted in categories of the nature of God and Jesus and the categories of salvation and how to become a Christian. So for instance, Questions that were submitted about the nature of God and Jesus. Questions about God's interaction with Satan. God's interaction with man. The deity of Jesus. About the life and death of Jesus. And then about how to become a Christian, which included questions about how God calls people. About faith only about baptism, and about once saved, always saved. In other words, can we be lost? And so would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to that. Really interesting questions that have been submitted by those around the world in these areas. And so Jeff and I just spent time seeing what the Bible had to say about these questions. So Jeff, I'll let you pick it up from here. Sure. So for today, we're going to continue walking through these topics somewhat in a chronological order. I mean, as Brian alluded to, we talked about, you know, is there a supreme being? Yes. You know, what he's done for us, the nature of Jesus, etc. How to become a Christian, initially. Today, we're going to start off with how to live as a faithful Christian. And then we're going to transition to a specific topic related to dating, marriage, and divorce, because we get a lot of questions on those topics. And then we'll start looking out into the future and talk some degree about premillennialism and end times and eschatology and those sorts of topics. And then finally, we'll wrap up with the general topic of death and the afterlife. So to kind of get us rolling today, you know, how to live as a faithful Christian. Now, after becoming a Christian, you know, people have submitted all different kinds of questions related to how they should live. Sometimes it's related to, you know, particular circumstances in their life, although sometimes they have broader applicability. And those are the ones we've kind of highlight today. Typical questions we've received in this category of how to live as a Christian. What is the way to a successful life? Here's another one. How to increase our faith. Here's one. What did Jesus mean when he said, you are the salt of the world? Here's one. Is owing someone money and refusing to pay it back the same as stealing in God's eyes? Here's another one. Is it true that everything that happens to a Christian is the Christian's fault, at least partially? And finally, you know, what does the Bible say about disappointments? So a lot of questions, again, related to, you know, how Christians should live, things that happen to them, you know, how they should view, you know, what's going on in their lives. 
And so as Brian alluded to in part one, we had a fair number of questions and answers related to the concept of once saved, always saved, which is a false doctrine, you know, related to the scriptures. And that, you know, Christians need to learn and grow and mature and stay away from sin as part of living a faithful Christian life. And of course, in some ways, this kind of starts off with wanting to learn, you know, as a learner. In fact, I like the imagery in 1 Peter 2, too. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know, newborn babe, young Christian, or, or a, a recently converted Christian who may or may not be physically young. They could be physically older. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Again, on this subject of the need to study, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so part of, again, living a faithful Christian life is, you know, desiring to learn more, studying more, and then begin to start applying what we learn and study to our lives. Stop doing things that the Bible calls wrong, evil, wickedness, or sin. Start doing the things that the Bible says we should be doing. And as you look through the scriptures, there are several passages that are almost like a extended list of things that are right and things that are wrong. For example, James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. First Peter 2, 1, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Brian, you want to go ahead and do uh, at least some parts of Colossians chapter 3, beginning roughly about verse 5? Yes, here it says fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Similar kind of list, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. And then on the positive side, if you will, well, Galatians chapter 5 has a similar list of evil, beginning with verse 19. And then after listing those works of the flesh, avoid. Goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit... In, in contrast, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we see a lot of passages that are almost like lists of, you know, do this and don't do that, for instance. And then, of course, we have to diligently take those things and grow our level of faith, grow our level of conviction, grow our level of commitment, if you will. Brian, tell you what, why don't you also give our listeners a reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, which kind of speaks to this need to grow our faith. Here it says, but also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, there's a lot in that passage that could be unpacked. In fact, we have had some podcasts before that, that Brian's going to refer to in a few moments. But again, in this general subject of, you know, how to live as a faithful Christian, you know, candidly, we've just scratched the surface. And we've talked about personal things that we should stop doing and personal things that we should start doing. But, you know, things we didn't mention, getting with fellow faithful Christians, working together, worshiping God, and, and many other aspects. In fact, Brian, I tell you what, to kind of end this particular section about living as a, as a faithful Christian, you want to vector people over to our website where there's a ton of material that they can uh, dig into? Yeah, there really is under this heading of Christian living. If you go to our website on the homepage at BibleQuestions.org, you'll see that there is a link to podcasts. And under the section of Christian living, there's an index on that podcast page. This is probably, in fact, it is a subject that we've covered the most extensively over the last three years. So as Jeff touched on, we have a series of podcasts that we did with Alan Hitchin on adding to your faith. We also have Works of the Flesh and Fruit of the Spirit. That was a two-part podcast that touched on what Jeff mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. And so you'll see within that section many subjects related to Christian living. And then also under the Lessons section of our website, you'll find many different lessons, including a series of lessons also on Christian living. And then even if you go to the letter C, you'll see questions and articles related to Christian living. And then you can also go to letter O for obedience and Z for zeal. So all of these kind of fit in with what Jeff just mentioned. Yeah, the only thing I just might throw in is in part one, we talked about God's plan of salvation, hearing the gospel, believing in Jesus, repenting of our sins, you know, confessing Jesus' deity, being baptized, immersed in water in order to have the forgiveness of our sins. And in many ways, that is just the beginning. Just the beginning of a lifelong journey of growing and becoming more faithful. And honestly, when we do sin, which we will, you know, repenting and getting back on track, an ongoing lifelong journey. It absolutely is. And, you know, part of Christian living involves our relationship with others, especially those who we're romantically attracted to and those who we might eventually marry. And related to marriage, you know, this includes a lot of questions that we get for family problems, divorce, and so forth. So let's talk a little bit about some questions in 2022 that were submitted as it relates to dating, marriage, and divorce. And so here are some questions that were asked. One says, what does the Bible say about boyfriends and girlfriends? Another question, I asked out a guy that I thought would make a good best friend. I found him attractive and nice. He said that he liked me too, and we started dating. I asked him if he was a Christian, and he said he had no religion, and I said that would be a problem. He said he believed in Jesus, but he said he never went to church besides when he was little. Was it a sin for me to date an unbeliever? Should I break up with him? So these are good questions as it relates to dating. Next question. In Luke 16, 18, Jesus says that if you divorce and remarry, you commit adultery. Is that still true today? 
I have never heard anyone preach about that. If my friends who are divorced and remarried do not think this is a sin and don't repent, will they go to hell? Then they go on to ask, does God consider unrepentant sin if they are now happy in their new marriage? And then they say, we have a lot of divorced and remarried couples in church. Uh, next question, why is an adulterous marriage unforgivable when baptism is repentance of all sin? And then finally, we have a question, you know, what is the Bible view on same-sex marriage? So as you can see, we get a variety of questions related to dating, divorce, remarriage, and now these days, especially as it relates to same-sex marriage. So let's start out by seeing what does the Bible say about dating? Now, the relationships in the Bible center on marriage, and the concept of a boyfriend and girlfriend is really a man-made idea. In other words, you, don't, you won't find scriptures that talk about dating, per se, and having boyfriends and girlfriends. Now, the Bible teaches that any intimate relationships are to be reserved for marriage. And so, you know, when you think about the problems that can arise from a boyfriend-girlfriend type of relationship is that it's very easy for that kind of relationship to lead to sexual immorality. So sometimes young people will use the term, well, I was making out with my girlfriend or boyfriend. Well, whenever you make out or do things like that, I think we all realize, I mean, it's pretty basic to understand that it's gonna, the passions are going to arise. And next thing you know, as we like to say, one thing leads to another, and now you might have sexual immorality. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2, we're told, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And so, you know, this really tells us that God not only reserved sexual relations for the marriage relationship, but that we need to be very, very careful to arouse emotions, natural, good emotions that God gave us, once again, for the marriage relationship. We need to be very careful that if we choose to date somebody, that we don't put ourselves in a position where we allow Satan to tempt us to let those passions overtake us and ultimately commit sexual immorality. Now, we have a previous question that goes into much more detail about dating on our website. The title of the question is, what does the Bible teach about dating? And you can find it under the section D for dating, which also, once again, gives some important and, and thoughtful considerations about dating. Okay, let's go ahead and shift gears now to divorce. Many questions we receive about divorce, and many people are concerned about what does the Bible teach about divorce, and rightly so. so two sections of Scripture I'll give you. One is in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. The second's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. So read those, become familiar with them, because what you'll see there is that Jesus was asked about divorce. Jews asked Jesus, you know, can you divorce a, can a man divorce a woman for any reason? And Jesus goes on to talk about how, you know, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So one of the basic principles we see in the Bible is that God wants one man and one woman to be married for life. In Malachi, we're told that God hates divorce. So Jesus starts out by saying, understand, this is an important relationship. You need to be married to one partner for life. And there are some considerations, like if that spouse dies, you can remarry, those kinds of things. But as it relates to just marriage in general, Matthew 5, for instance, verse 31, here I'll quote Jesus. He says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. 
And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So that's really very clear. And the word any there is important because Jesus is saying there's only one valid reason for divorce, and that is sexual immorality. Now, whether someone is happy, you know, so we had, you know, this person who submitted a question talking about, you know, somebody's happy in their marriage, does that change what the Bible teaches? Well, it does not. You know, whether someone is happy in their adulterous marriage does not matter in that sense. It simply means that they're self-deceived. In other words, if people believe, well, God just wants me to be happy, and so if I'm happy, he must be okay with this adulterous marriage. No, God's not happy with sin, and that would be really blasphemous to suggest so. So if a couple is baptized, let's say they're in an adulterous relationship, and they are baptized, their sins can be forgiven, but if they continue in that marriage, then they are still in an adulterous relationship and therefore they are still in sin. So sometimes we like to use the analogy, Jeff, if somebody robs a bank, you know, and they are baptized, can they keep the money? Or if somebody steals a bicycle and they're baptized, do they need to return the bike? Well, yes, that's part of repentance. I don't think any of us could argue that you could keep the money you robbed from a bank or keep a bicycle. Part of repenting is turning away from sin, restoring back what belongs to somebody else, including somebody else's wife, or if you have no right to be married to them, you need to end that marriage. And that is very difficult, especially if they've had children together. So people put themselves in a situation where it becomes extremely difficult to end a marriage like that. So anyhow, a critical part of repentance is turning away from the sin. And you know, John the Baptist told the Pharisees that they needed to bear fruits worthy of repentance in Matthew 3, 8 which simply meant that they needed to cast off their sinful behavior. And so as it relates to marriage, the same applies here. Okay, last section, and then I'll turn it over to you, Jeff, is same-sex marriage. You know, as many are probably aware, in many countries now, they're formally recognizing man-and-man marriages, women-and-women marriages, same-sex marriages. But regardless of what the world says, God has always defined marriage as only being between a man and a woman. In fact, if you go back to creation, that's why God created woman from man so that she could be a helpmeet, a partner, if you will, spiritually, so that they can both work together to do God's works and to get to heaven. And so we see that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus reiterated that in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. So we know that this applies under the law of Christ. And so as I mentioned, regardless of how man changes the definition of marriage, in fact, Jeff, here in our country, as I'm sure you know, there was a recent federal law that was passed that now codifies marriage between the same sex. So, you know, this is just what we see that happens in any society that does not recognize and is not obedient to God's word. But God has always condemned homosexuality and has never approved of marriage between those of the same sex. And so let me just give you a couple additional passages that you can study on your own to see this to be true. For instance, Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 19, also verses 29, then Jude 7 where it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed as an example of what God thinks about homosexuality in general. And then Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, where it talks about how homosexuality is considered shameful conduct. So under the law of Christ that we live under today, the Bible makes it clear homosexuality is a sin. Now, does that mean we hate homosexuals? No, hate's wrong. God loves all men. He just wants them to recognize that he has defined marriage between a man and a woman and that it's not acceptable 
to have a homosexual relationship nor a homosexual marriage. And that's because of God's love. And so because he created us, he certainly has the right, Jeff, doesn't he, to define what's appropriate in these areas. Yeah, and I like that final comment. And what some people may not realize is this, what we might call the subject of, you know, human sexuality. Really, the Bible has a lot to speak to. Male and female, man and woman, avoiding, you know, sexual temptations, marriage, divorce, homosexuality, and even other kinds of you know, sexual activity like, you know, with animals and incest and et cetera. It is certainly a subject that a lot of people have a lot of questions on, which, as we've indicated, is one of our more popular uh, categories. And in fact, for additional information, if you want to, you can certainly go to our website under the podcasts menu item. There is a divorce and a dating uh, under podcasts, under topics. D for dating, M for marriage, H for homosexuality, uh, F for family, D for divorce. Just a lot of good material at our website. Uh, Brian, anything else before we transition over to our next major category? No, why don't we take a look at premillennialism and future things? Right. So, so far in our podcast, we've you know talked about supreme being, creator, we're accountable to the creator how to become initially a Christian, how to live as a faithful Christian with, you know, some special emphasis on sexuality. Well, now we're kind of going to pivot a little bit, as Brian indicates, and look out into the future. Now, there are a lot of religious groups that, based on the highly figurative language of Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation, will claim that there's a fairly precise sequence of events that is yet future, that will lead up to what's sometimes called the Great Tribulation, in association with something called the Rapture, you know, Jesus' return. They'll claim there's going to be a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus sitting on a physical throne in Jerusalem, and then eventually some satanic rebellion and the end of the world and Judgment Day. And of course, we do get lots of questions about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, the rapture, the nature of this millennial kingdom, etc. You know, for example, here are some questions we received in 2022. After Israel was restored in 1948, will that generation, born in 1948, and after, see the rapture? Another question, is it possible to worship the Antichrist and take his mark of the beast right now? Can one be forced to receive the mark of the beast? Can one receive it unknowingly? Once received, can one repent and get rid of it? Here's another question. When Jesus comes back, according to this person, when Jesus comes back, he will take his people with him, and then there will be a seven-year tribulation period. I know there are many different beliefs on how that will take place, but my main question is, after Jesus takes his people with him during the rapture, will the people on earth here still have a chance to accept him and be saved? And then finally, Example question, does it say there will be a thousand years of peace before the final end comes? So, from a scriptural perspective, as we've said, there's a lot of talk about the tribulation, the rapture, the antichrist, you know, based on, you know, again, Matthew 24, book of Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. And a lot of this, I guess you could generally put under the topic of what's called premillennialism. 
a very popular doctrine in a lot of religious groups today. Premillennialism, generally speaking, takes a somewhat futurist and a somewhat literal approach to the book of Revelation. And again, we talked about the physical restoration of the Jews to the land, great tribulation caused by the Antichrist, Jesus setting up his thousand-year millennial kingdom, etc. And yet, when you start digging into this concept of premillennialism, it's, there's really a lot more diversity, multiple conflicting views. For instance, this thousand-year reign, well, is that a literal thousand years, not 999 and not 1001? Is it literal? literal period of time? Or is it figurative for a long period of time? Is Jesus coming back before this period of time? Or is he coming, is he coming back after this period of time? Is this concept of the rapture before or during the tribulation? And really where we kind of want to focus on, you know, are these events mostly in the future or are they mostly in the past? So one thing I want to say right off the bat, well, two things. One is, you know, a lot of these things are based indeed on highly figurative language. So we need to be very careful of the, the conclusions we come to. Number two is when you hit a subject that has such a wide diversity of views of, you know, scholars that have, you know, researched it, and they're saying all these different contradictory things, that suggests very strongly, at least to me, that we need to be very careful, you know, to avoid any sort of dogmatic, well, this is the only way it has to be kind of things. The other thing I might mention is this is a good area where you really need to focus on the clear passages of Scripture, clear, non-prophetic, non-figurative passages of Scripture, to first of all establish what we can know from the Scriptures and establish perhaps what is probable before we launch off into this highly symbolic, highly figurative language where our imaginations can take us absolutely anywhere. Here's another point to consider. A lot of people will want to use this chronology to predict when Christ is coming. You know, sometimes they're called date setters. Jehovah's Witnesses, as an example, are somewhat infamous for setting multiple dates through time. All of them have been wrong. Predicting Jesus' return, I would say, is pointless. Pointless. That may shock some people. But if you notice this thought of, I can predict when Christ returns, contradicts what Jesus himself said. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 39, speaking of his return, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, notice this, beginning with verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So don't think you can predict Christ's return, number one. Something else, Jesus is already king of kings and already rules over his kingdom. This is not a future thing. It is a current thing that happened beginning back in the first century, Acts 2. Colossians 1.13 talks about even then, 2,000 years ago, people being translated or transformed or, or transferred, if you will, into his kingdom at that time. In other words, Jesus' kingdom is a historical fact, not a future event. Here's another thing to consider. Jesus, in terms of his physical lineage, 
is a descendant of a person called Jeconiah, one of the last kings of Judah. In fact, it might have been the last king, if I remember right, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. But there's a couple of interesting prophecies, Jeremiah 22, 24, and Jeremiah 22, verse 30, prophesies that no descendant of Jeconiah, to include Jesus, will prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling from Jerusalem. Interesting. So in other words, Jesus won't be physically ruling from Jerusalem, unlike, the, again, the teachings of premillennialism. The other thing I just might mention, if you read through the book of Revelation, there are several passages where the Holy Spirit through John tells the audience, generally speaking, when the things are going to happen in the book of Revelation. For instance, at the very beginning, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Hmm. Go to the very end of the book, Revelation 22, verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. A couple verses later, again, Revelation 22, verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So even the book of Revelation, in general, a sense of urgency to the readers of that letter or of that book in the first century, second century, third century, perhaps. So you might say, well, Jeff, you know, so what position do you take? Or what position in general does the you know, Church of Christ tend to take? Well, generally speaking, it's our understanding. And again, we hard to, don't want to be dogmatic. A general understanding that most of Revelation has already been fulfilled. You know, most of Revelation is behind us, past historical events, dealing with the persecution and triumph of the church after it's being oppressed by Rome, imperial Rome, and maybe by extension, papal Rome or the Roman Catholic Church. However, you know, recognize there is some loosening of Satan, according to Revelation 20, beginning with verse 7, that is, is to occur at some point in the future in our future. Don't know when that's going to be, don't know what form it's going to take, but there seems to be some last great attempt by Satan to deceive the nations, which will transpire before the judgment, uh, Revelation 20, verse 8, and verses 10 through 15. So, to wrap it all up, Brian, you know, from this perspective, it seems like Jesus' return is not going to be to rapture the living at one point, and then some great tribulation where people now have like a second chance for people to obey him. From the plain passages of Scripture, when Jesus comes again, he will raise the dead, including both those who have done both good and those who have done evil. That's John chapter 5, 28 and 29. He's going to judge all men when he returns, Matthew 25, 31 through 48. They'll be based on their deeds, and God's word will be the standard, Romans chapter 2, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, John 12, verse 48. The wicked will be assigned to everlasting punishment. The righteous will be assigned to everlasting life. Matthew 25, verse 46. Uh, the righteous living caught up to be with Christ forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. So a perspective that I must confess is, is somewhat different than mainstream Protestantism that believes in premillennialism and all these future things. But again, based on what appear to be the plain passages of Scripture, as well as what the book of Revelation itself says, seems to be a, a more logical conclusion what I just got through describing. There you go, Brian. Anything else you want to add? 
Yeah, there's a lot there, isn't there? And when you look at the origin of a lot of false religions, it's rooted in some of these figurative things that you mentioned. And so some will take passages in Isaiah and passages in Revelation, and they will build entire false doctrines around them. And so one of the things I really appreciate you finishing up with is, well, what does the Bible say? What should we be understanding that's very clear? Yes, there will be a judgment. This is what will happen when the judgment occurs. The Bible is very plain about that. And so for those of you that would be interested in learning more about premillennialism or rapture or the mark of the beast, if you go to our website under the topical index and choose the letter P, you'll see a section there on premillennialism where it talks about, you know, the 144,000, as I mentioned, the mark of the beast, the nation of Israel, and a lot of false doctrines and other false thoughts, if you will, that center around some of these things that Jeff talked about, and then really compares it to what does the Bible say? So we want to be very careful that we're not introducing something based on figurative language that is not consistent or just flat out conflicts with the rest of God's word. Also, if you choose the letter S under second coming, you'll see several questions that have been answered in articles written about what the Bible teaches related to the second coming. So that kind of now transitions us to this section about death and the afterlife. So there are many questions that are submitted to the website that are centered around, you know, what happens after we die? I mean, we're all interested in that, right? And so, you know, sometimes people will ask questions because they're concerned about their departed loved ones, or maybe they're confused about claims made regarding ghosts or near-death experiences or the ultimate nature of heaven and hell. So typical questions that we get in this category and some specific ones that we received during 2022. One here says, when talking to my friends, I find it a challenge to talk about spirits guiding them. I personally do not understand all this. I thought when a person dies, their spirit goes to heaven or hell. When they are there, so many programs produced in America show haunted houses, spirits being confronted, and they answer. How does this work? And my last question is, if the dead are in heaven, why does the Bible say Jesus will come again and raise the dead? So all good questions. Next one, how do we explain when we see in the Bible it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? I have been taught that as soon as you draw your last breath, you will be with Jesus. Also, the Bible talks about when we die, we are just asleep until the day the Lord comes and calls all of us home. Next question. Well, I know my wife in heaven is someone special. I know we will not be married as in this present life, but what will the relationship be? And then the last question here, I am very perplexed. I saw a video today of a famous atheist who had a near-death experience. He claims to have seen heaven during it. It was so peaceful that he no longer fears death. So really many good questions that illustrate, once again, the typical questions we get about this subject. And so let's start out by talking about well, what happens after death. What does the Bible tell us? Well, according to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, the spirits of the dead will go to Hades, which is the realm of the dead. And in studying this section and other passages, we learned that, you know, Hades contains Abraham's bosom, or it's sometimes called paradise, like by Jesus, for instance, and torments. And based on what we read here about the rich man and Lazarus, we will wait, all of us, when we die, we will wait in comfort or in torment. So after we die, we will either go to paradise or, you know, what's called Abraham's bosom or torments. 
And then we can reasonably conclude from passages like Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13 that all souls will wait in Hades until the resurrection and the final judgment of mankind. And so that's assuming, you know, the souls, of course, of those who died. I mean, when Jesus comes, there will still be some alive who will face judgment. But for those who die, they'll go to Hades. Okay, so one other thing that's really important for us to understand is that we will not, quote unquote, be with Jesus or immediately taken to heaven because of God's grace. The Bible makes it clear that there will be a judgment, as Jeff just alluded to in 2 Corinthians 5.10, where it says, you know, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so we all will stand in judgment. The Bible makes that clear. And so we emphasize this because sometimes you might go to a funeral and they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so, they're, they're in heaven looking down on us. That's not true. They're in Hades. And number two, they won't either go to heaven or hell until there's a final judgment. Now, as for the relationship or our relationship and what it will be like if we're married and let's say our spouse has died, you know, what will that relationship be like? Actually, Jesus addressed this. And he said that we will all be like angels and there will no longer be marriage relationships. So if we look over in Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 30, I'll just read verse 30 here where Jesus says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. So we will be changed. We will be transformed. If we and our spouse are found faithful, we will both be there, but we will not be married in that sense. Now, the last part here, these near-death experiences, you know, there have been many, and you, you know, all of us have probably read articles or seen shows or whatever about, you know, how when somebody is close to death, that they sometimes see things like bright lights or tunnels carrying them into somewhere. Visions of heaven, they might say, as this person who submitted the question said, you know, when they have this near-death or close-to-death experience. Well, we have to be careful that we are not deceived into thinking this is some type of personal revelation that God is giving us that ensures we will be going to heaven, and therefore we shouldn't fear death. Now, granted, if you are obedient to God's will and you're doing all that you can to be faithful, then you shouldn't fear death. But if you're sinful, you should fear death. And so some dream shouldn't change that and shouldn't deceive you into thinking, well, because I had this quote-unquote vision in my dream that God's just going to bring me to heaven. I already know that. I've seen it. You're being deceived. We really have to focus on what the Bible says regarding the judgment and how heaven is only for the righteous. And just two sets of passages I'll give for our listeners to consider we referred to this earlier, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, where Jesus talks about what will happen on that day of judgment. And then Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 is one of my favorite sections of Scripture because it talks about the justice of God and how he will justly judge and send either to heaven or hell those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. Jeff? Yeah, good points. In fact, I suspect that a lot of people's view of death and the afterlife maybe more shaped by Hollywood yeah. and movies and things like ghosts or coming back and you know haunting of houses and horror films and etc. But as Brian has indicated, particularly involving things beyond this life, we need to stay anchored in what God has revealed to us and what happens. And you know, at a very simple level, life goes on. Death is not the end. 
death is just a transition into something, something else. Hopefully something better, avoidably something worse. But, you know, the key point being is, you know, this life is like shorts. It's transitory. It's a period of time or it's a journey. And at least for those who accept the Bible for what it says, you know, it is a proving time, if you will, a time when we have the opportunity to come to a saving faith in God, to come to a faithful, obedient state of living. And of course, that's not a sinless state. That, that's a, you know, recognizing that we will fall short, that we do need to pick ourselves up, repent, get back on track, etc. So the kinds of, you know, hopefully today, as we start to wrap up today's podcast, part two of the podcast, that our listeners have a, a, a better appreciation for the kinds of popular questions that we get, you know, whether it's regarding the nature of God or initially becoming a Christian uh, through God's plan of salvation, whether it's trying to remain as a faithful Christian, or whether it's looking out into the future, either alleged future events or prophecy, or more personal, if you will, and more relevant, things like our own life, approaching death, and the afterlife. And since these were popular in 2022, hopefully our listeners might have had similar questions uh, that they now have some material that they can refer to and consider. And, and, you know, Brian, as we always say, if you, know, you hear something on the podcast that sounds kind of odd or questionable or that you'd like to dig further into, we certainly have the Ask a Question feature you know, at our website, BibleQuestions.org, that you can take advantage of if you want to dig a little bit deeper or if you have something maybe a little bit more personal than some of the you know, common questions we ask today. So one of the things we you know, like to do as we pivot from 2022 into a new year you know, we would certainly, you know, wish our listeners the, the best you know, as we launch into the new year. Certainly wish our listeners the best as they try to learn more about God, learn more about the Bible, learn more about how to be pleasing to them. And so, Brian, uh, any, uh, you want to add some more thoughts as we wrap up today? Yeah, I'll echo what you said, and that is we really hope the best for everyone. And as our regular listeners will know, this podcast comes after a two-part series that we just finished with Alan Hitchin, where he talks about looking into the new year and setting spiritually related goals. So we would encourage everyone to do that. And so to help you with what we were just talking about, you know, the afterlife and what happens after we die, if you go to our website, biblequestions.org, and under our podcast page, Jeff and I recorded a couple podcasts about the afterlife. One was about the death and afterlife. And then another one that we did in 2022 was questions on the afterlife, where we literally spent the entire episode answering questions about that. Also, under the topic section, letter A for afterlife, H for Hades, heaven, and hell. And then as it relates to, you know, this two-part series and, you know, just some overarching material that you can find on our website to help with your studies. We have, you know, previous questions and, and longer articles that have been written on some of these popular themes like W for worship. There's a lot of false doctrine and false worship that's out there today. H for the Holy Spirit. We did a podcast about getting to know the Holy Spirit and covered all of the aspects of what the Bible teaches us, but also have a lot of material on our website under H for Holy Spirit, M for miracles, a W for women. 
Another trend that we're seeing in the world today is a lot of women leadership in the church. So what does the Bible say about that? Well, we had podcasts and questions about that. G for giving and greed. D for the devil and demons. So just some additional topics you can take a look at. And then a final thing I'll mention is, you know, under the lessons button on our homepage, you know, we have a couple of really nice online studies that you can go through if you'd like. One of them covers kind of what we might call Bible fundamentals. It's called the, you know, ABCs of the Bible, if you will. And that's an eight-part series where you go through, you read the material, you submit your answers to some questions at the end of that material, and then you'll get an answer back with how you did on that along with the link to the next lesson. So that one's kind of the Bible basics. And then we also have one on how to properly interpret the Bible. So, you know, you'll look on our, our homepage, there's a section that Jeff's put up there called Special Announcements. It gives you links to these two courses and the one on properly how to properly interpret the Bible is a longer course. But once again, you go through it lesson by lesson, you submit it, we give you some answers back. And I think you'll find it's a kind of a structured way if you're looking for a way to study the Bible in more in depth, for you to sort of walk through to make sure, like in the case of how to interpret the Bible, how to properly understand what we read in the Bible so that you're applying the truth to your life and not some false doctrines from men. So Jeff, I'll let you uh, have any final comments you have, and then we will wrap this up for the time. Well, again, the only thing I just might add is, again, wish our listeners a uh, you know, prosperous and uh, spiritually beneficial new year. And as always, you know, go to our website, lots of material, pay particular attention to the scriptures, dig into the Bible, see what it says, don't take our word for it, and apply it to your lives to have a more, again, spiritually prosperous new year. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.